Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing. You can probably tell that because my voice is still not right. Um, but yes, I host this podcast, Cover the Commanders for the Athletic. Thanks for joining me as always here, talking to you on a Monday morning. Week one is upon us. We made it. Um, Commanders, Cardinals, Sunday 1 p.m. FedEx Field sellout, we've been told. Excited to be part of that atmosphere and take the first steps towards where this season is going to go. Um, but I was thinking about this, like we've talked about this season about this team every way possible, right? We've gone through all the Sam Howell scenarios, inexperienced quarterback with a lot of upside, all the Eric Bienemy talk. What's going to happen to this defense? Can they keep up their top 10 status? Things like that. But so rather than to rehash all that again, I thought, what can we do to talk about this team in a different way and maybe get smarter in the process? So I tasked our pal Logan Paulson with the commander's website, the Take Command podcast, uh, part of the team's pre and post game show on the radio, I tasked him with this. Give us five, I don't want to say nerdy things, but five concepts, five plays, five thoughts, five schemes that will be paramount for this team this year. So rather than just throwing out all these terms, people love to throw out whether they know what they're saying or not. Logan gave us, for offense, defense, and even special teams, what he thinks is really important to keep an eye on as a, as a viewer, as a fan, and obviously for him as an analyst as well. A really in-depth and thoughtful conversation about football concepts and this team specifically. So we'll get to all that here in a moment on the Standard Room Only podcast, which you can find on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you do your podcasting. Um, on The Athletic today, I have a new story up, uh, sort of things I think, Kind of a kind of vibe. Uh, what the team got right with Sam Howell, maybe what they got wrong. Breakout players, who I think is a really overlooked player throughout on this team throughout the summer. Who are the five most indispensable players on the team, and a bunch more. So you can go check that out on the Athletic. If you read it, you won't have to hear my voice. I'm trying, folks. I really am. I, I it's it's uh, it's not fun. <clears throat> anyway, that's what we're doing. Uh, to the point of my voice, I'm not going to talk too much here um, other than to say the week. Uh, so we're, we're here this week. Ron Rivera will talk to the media on Tuesday. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you get your normal practice schedule leading into the game on Sunday. And, uh, you know, we will just kind of go through that process, uh, you know, of, of of the week. Obviously, there's injury questions, as we know, Chase Young. Terry McLaurin, um, or the headliners, 
We'll see if either of them are on the practice field this week. If they're not on the field Wednesday, I would venture to guess that's a bad sign for them in week one. You could also make the argument not to look past the Cardinals, but that if you're going to, you know, lean towards being a little bit cautious and not have these injuries linger, maybe this is a good opponent to have those guys sit. But again, you can't, you can't take any opponent light in the NFL, especially right off the bat in week one when there's a lot of mystery out there. <clears throat> All right. All that said, let's get to Logan Paulson. By the way, you can follow Logan on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson 82. Uh, he does a lot of good film breakdown there. I really enjoy his coverage of the team. So let's get to it. Logan Paulson, we're calling this, I don't know if we're calling this Logan's Lessons or Paulson's Playbook. You can help me decide that for the next time. But here we go, Logan Paulson on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right, as we move uh, towards the regular season, it's we're here. This is week one. Officially, nobody better to get us ready for the season than our, our, our pal Logan Paulson, former tight end, current analyst for the Washington Commanders. Um, is also, a, a, in my world, uh, a doctor. I'm, I, I, I take his medical <laughs> advice very seriously. Uh, well, Logan, thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this week one. I appreciate you having, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I am very pumped. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day and I was like, man, it's so nice to kind of be out of like, I don't want to call it speculation land, but like analyzing data points that are like less significant than games. So I'm really looking forward to checking out obviously Arizona. And, you know, you sent me something the other day about how, um, Arizona is playing chess in terms of the Caleb Williams week six. So I'm, I totally get that. But, uh, you know, like it'll be fun to see them play a real NFL team and um, hopefully get a W in front of the home crowd. So that'll be, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. I mean, the guys that Arizona has on their team, they, they're professional football players. Correct. Yes. They're just not necessarily right. putting themselves well, I, in the best position to win at all times. So I was, I was talking to somebody about this also a couple of days ago. And I was Santana and Fred Smoot. And I was like, there was even it, when teams were like trying to tank and like no team has done it as comprehensively as like the Eagles did a couple of years ago or, even seemingly like um, like Arizona's doing right now, there's never like an easy game. It's never like oh, we walk in and we just crush this team. And I, you know, I've never been on like an elite elite team, but like guys are competitive, man. There's a reason you're a professional athlete, and like um, you know, pundits might not say you're very good or whatever, but you're gonna come out and 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 fight for for a long time, and it a lot in large part because it's like your job and your occupation. So. Um, yeah, I, I, even though they, they seem to have different motives than the rest of the NFL at the moment, I don't expect those guys who are playing to, uh, to take this, to take this lightly or take this easy. So I think it's going to be a pretty competitive football game. Yeah. No, uh, no, no, no doubt about it. That said, they better win. Like I, like this, <laughs> I, 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 I put down like months ago when the schedule came out, like we had to do like a, <clears throat> a template yeah. thing. And one of the questions was, what's the game they can't afford to lose? And I never pick week one. Yeah, I'm like they better not lose week one to a team that looked like they were <clears throat> at a minimum wouldn't have Kyler Murray. And you know, knowing the schedule, I was like you kind of got to win. That's why I'm not thinking it's a must win. I'm just saying don't lose. I mean, it's definitely one you want to see him win. And, and again, like they're all hard to win, but I, this one feels like it's a little bit more likely. It's at home. The team is kind of down. They're, la- they're they're they don't have their star player. Um, you know, so. Yeah, I definitely think it's it's one that I've checked off as a, as a win also in terms of getting them to like nine, ten wins. But um, you know, you got to play the game, like they say. So fingers crossed. Hopefully they they come prepared. I, I do think uh, one thing about this off season specifically that's gotten me really 
excited for week one is I feel like there's just this incredibly high standard now on offense. And I feel like, you know, Jack's always had a pretty high standard on defense, but high standard on both sides of the ball that make me more confident that they're going to start quickly and, and play effective football early in the season. And by standard, you're talking about like how they practiced and yeah, yeah. things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think the practice standard is, is through the roof. Like just the amount of stuff they're able to get done each day because of how they practice, like the tempo, the energy, obviously the attention to detail by EB, which has been well documented from training camp. You know, he's co- like the, the first time we went out and watched practice, it was such a vivid, vivid memory for me because he's coaching, you know, I think it was a, it was a 10 yard out route. And so he stood there and he watched every single receiver run a 10 yard out and he'd be like, good, good. And he'd be like, Hey, you're a yard short. And I thought he'd kind of like, after the first four guys went, the guys that are going to be here, he'd walk away, but he went all the way down. The last guy was Bryson Tremaine. And he was like, and he's like, Bryson, man, that's three yards short. That's unacceptable. And I just was like, that's, that's a standard right there. And so for, for him to be coaching with that level of detail kind of at all times and all facets, has been, uh, I think, a godsend for this organization. So, um, and, and I think, again, the energy and the tempo and the detail that he's brought, it's going to lend itself to a better start, I just think, naturally. Because guys are, are, instead of having to ramp up, they've been ramped up since training camp started because of because of how he coaches and how he approaches this. So, Yeah, I mean, obviously in foot, I mean, any athletic uh, endeavor, but football, um, you got to have the, the right mindset and the right yes. will and – one thing I've always said when I watch practices, when I would when I used to cover an NBA team, I would watch a practice. <clears throat> um, I understood what I was seeing because they were going through an actual play, right? Or they were doing a scrimmage. In the NFL, so much of when I'm watching practice, it's like these very intermittent moments. It's like take three steps, stop. Yeah, and it's all about muscle memory and and knowing where you need to be because you got eleven people working together, and all that matters so much so it isn't just like oh do we have talent no no you have to that talent's got to be in rhythm with each other and have the right mentality to fight through whatever you got to fight through yeah I think that's absolutely right I think you see that especially with the offensive line like one of the things that's been so impressive about this team is the offensive line the offensive line's development let's say that like because you know they went from not really doing any kind of teamwork and now all of a sudden that group looks like it's pretty well polished in terms of you know, and again, like, I don't want to say like they're, you know, like the best offensive line in the NFL, but I do think they do a really good job of kind of saying, you know, like, I understand how to work with my buddy at a really high level, like on a combination or in pass protection. And I think that all comes down to coaching and kind of those, those intermittent steps that you were referencing, right? Like they, they were doing individual work that whole time. It wasn't like a team setting where they're like scrimmaging. It was like, no, 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 we're doing individual work with the offensive line every day of the OTA period you know, the first couple of days of training camp was the same thing. And I just, it, that, that type of work and that t- uh, type of attention to detail has really created a nice rhythm within that offensive line um, that I'm kind of excited to see how, how it, how it affects the season, you know, so it'll be cool. All right. Now, in terms of what we're going to primarily talk about here, look, we've all gone through this whole Sam Howell, Eric Bieniemy, Chase Young, <laughs> top 10 defense. We've all discussed it a hundred times in mostly the same ways. So I decided to ask Logan for a favor slash give him some homework and try to educate us. We'll we'll call this Logan's lessons uh, if we keep it up next time. Um, All right. That basically is this. We hear all these uh, technical football terms throughout the season. Sometimes we probably know what it means. Sometimes we're like, wait, what? We have to figure it out along the way. So I asked Logan 
to give us some of those kinds of terms and, and high level concepts that are going to be applicable for this team. He thinks this year on either side of the ball. So that's where we're going to go. We'll, we'll, we'll have a discussion off of that. So Logan, yeah. the floor is yours. What's the first one you want to give us? The first one I'm going to start, I'm going to start with the offense. I think we'll go offense defense. Does that work for you? That works for everybody. Okay. So, so off offensively, I think the biggest one is like horizontal space and creating horizontal space offensively. And so what I mean by that is like, you know, everyone kind of is familiar with like the air Coriel West coast terminology that gets thrown out all the time. Like West coast offenses tend to kind of think, think of in the genesis of a West coast offense, like they had a quarterback, uh, Bill Walsh had a quarterback who couldn't throw the ball very far. So you kind of said to myself, how do I create horizontal space in the defense where the quarterback doesn't have to throw it very far, but he can make quick decisions kind of in underneath coverage. And what you've seen in training camp so far is, a, is, is EB really embracing that. And, you know, you're seeing kind of like these five yard sits with a big in cup behind it. You're seeing a clear out for the choice right underneath. And I think you've seen Sam Howell do a really, really nice job of, of embracing that horizontal displacement of a defense. And it's so crazy watching because even in concepts where I don't traditionally think of them as requiring a lot of horizontal displacement. Like he does a good job of finding ways to get there. So just as a small example, like they ran a play action pass in the preseason where they're running kind of like this, this beautiful, like kind of, it's a, it's like a vertical kind of out and up to a comeback by Jahan. Very, very long developing concept. And the same thing on the other side. So it's a mirrored concept. And usually you kind of say, well, you don't really need to, to worry about creating, you know, displacement of that underneath coverage level in the linebackers. Uh, and you know, they're in a play action pass look that the, the, the back and the tight end usually would stay in. And, um, DB's credit and the offense's credit, like he has those guys chip instead of staying in a protection full time and run to the flat. And what it did, which was really impressive to me was created, it added probably four or five yards for each window of the underneath coverage. And it allowed there to be better throw, like lines of sight to the receiver and better throwing lanes to the receiver at the second level, uh, you know, that linebacker safety level of the defense. So I think that's going to be something that is absolutely huge because I think one of the reasons it's so huge is because how do you find it each week? Like, is it using a jet sweep? Is it using some type of short motion? Is it so, you know, like, how do you get there? Is it getting an empty? Is it getting in a, con- a condensed formation and then expanding to something? And so I think that term really encapsulates kind of high, high level EB's offensive philosophy. And it's something you're going to hear a lot about. And it's a core tenant of that West Coast offense. But horizontal uh, stretching and spacing of the defense is going to be a, a huge factor for this team this year. You mentioned that Bill Walsh came up with some- with this to help a quarterback who didn't have the biggest arm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sam Howell's got a pretty big arm. Yep. So from Biennemi's perspective, what is the – why go this route as opposed to – I mean, I know it's what he's kind of reared on, but why go this route versus uh, another one? So what I would say is that, like, with the Air Coriel, and, you know, obviously the Air Coriel has evolved and it's changed and it's adopted stuff from the West Coast and vice versa, right? But what I will say is that when you are in a traditional Air Coriel, kind of much more similar to Scott Turner – it's a, it's a vertical base passing attack. And, and as you know, like if you push the football down the field, it's a much lower percentage throw, right? It's, you kind of got to, got to put it up over the top, kind of make these tough catches. Think about if I'm just having all, all the receivers run nines, run goes, right? The, you know, Curtis Samuel runs a go, Jahan runs a go, and Terry runs a go. You're asking them to win in a way that I don't think a lot of people understand how challenging it is to win. I'm just on a straight vertical route. It's, it's very, very hard to win. You lose a lot of the things that kind of, help you get 
get open and create space as a receiver, change of velocity, change of direction, acceleration, deceleration. And so in the West Coast offense, basically what you're doing is you're designing a concept to beat to beat certain coverage. Like so for example, I did a breakdown on this a couple weeks ago, but um there was a uh, a play in the in the Cincinnati game in the preseason where they're running a chair concept to the offensive left. So a chair concept is just a five yard under by number one, five yard under by number two, and a corner by number three. And that is a great concept to beat cover two, right? Because you think about it, the the corner attaches to the under, the hook player attaches to the under, and the corner is running a you know an outbreaking route versus a safety, and there's a huge window right there because you've you've kind of pinned the coverage in this really nice way. Um, and so, like, you are creating space in a defense with your concept. So what EB does, which I thought was really, really smart, is he takes the back and he kind of puts him on a jet sweep action or bubbles him out to the left. So he forces that that underneath coverage to attach even more. However, like, if you don't play cover, if you don't play cover two, you're kind of boned, right? But what he does on the other side is he gives a little slant. So basically he says, like, if it's cover two, you're going to throw the chair concept. If it's cover one, you're going to throw the slant. And giving the quarterback answers and increasing the probability of completing the football, even if it's not an explosive play, I think is tremendously valuable because you get the quarterback in a rhythm, you get them seeing, you're creating voids is what I'm saying. You're creating voids in the defense that just make easier throws. So in that example, I just said, like when he moves the back to the offensive left, the hook player of the defense, the outside linebacker on on the offensive right has to match because it's now four by one. So the slant window is huge. So he's basically ensured this really easy slant throw versus cover three. And he's also ensured a really easy corner throw or underneath throw versus cover two. And so I think that, and again, this is the preseason. The cover shells are really, really simple. So it's really easy to identify and they'll get more complicated as you go. But I think that's like, that's where the value is. You've just increased the quarterback's efficiency. And as a result, you've increased, increased the offense's efficiency because you can't live just taking shots down the field all the time. You just can't, the offense, it's, especially in 2022, it's not a tenable solution. And you think about the best, like, Air Coriel offenses, it's like the Dallas Cowboys with Troy Aikman when they had um, Irvin there. They had the best offensive line in football. They had one of the best receivers in football, and they had the best running back in football. And that's what, one of the reasons why the offense is effective. Here, I think it elevate it helps elevate um, skill position guys, I think. And again, I'm a little biased because I grew up, you know, with Kyle Shanahan in college in a West Coast offense. So, so uh, if, if if it's the quicker throws, I imagine it means that the quarterback has got to identify even quicker what is happening because if you can wait for the guy to go 30 yards down the field, that's a little bit easier to see. So how important is it for for Sam to identify the line and how well do you think he's done at that? I think he's actually done a fantastic job of that. It is important, but actually I think it's I think in the long in the in the in the grand scheme of things, it's easier. It's easier for the offensive line, it's easier for the receiver, and it's easier for the quarterback because again, you're creating pockets. And unlike the Air Coriel or the version of the Air Coriel we watched last year, it's you're relying on your guys to win one-on-ones a lot. And that 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 is a big feature of NFL football. Specifically in the third down and red zone areas, like you gotta win one-on-ones. Like no one's disputing that, right? Like that's 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 a that's a huge factor. But I want to limit like just them having to win on pure horsepower and skill as much as I can. And I think at least what we've seen from EB in, in this offense so far is it makes it so like, like for example, and in, in I go back to the Cincinnati game, they're running like a, um, the tight ends running a 10 yard dig, 
Curtis Samuel or um, Byron Pringle runs a five yard sit like right in the guy's jet stream. And then there's a, a back to the flat, right? And so the flat player matches the flat, the hook player carries the vertical. And then there's a huge space right where Byron Pringle is. And he just darts it to him. So he makes it so like he's creating EB through concept is creating that space for him. So the quarterback in his mind knows, Hey, if that hook player matches the sit, I'm throwing the dig. If he matches the dig, I'm throwing the sit. And so it, makes the picture really small and ensures a very easy throw. You know, let's say the, the flat player busts his rule and matches the sit. I'm throwing to the flat. It just gives you answers within a play that are very easy. I don't say easy because it's always very challenging when you're playing quarterback, but easier to see the progression. And I think that's one of the reasons why, like, you know, Andy Reid has such a successful offense. That's why Kyle Shanahan. That's why Matt LaFleur, Mike McDaniels, like, O'Connell, like that offense is a West Coast offense. And it's because of how they manipulate coverage with concept. And so you mentioned that he's got a big arm, Sam. That doesn't mean they're not going to take shots. It's just going to be, they're going to be a little bit more selective about when they take their shots so that every time they do take a shot, it's going to be like a home run. So I think that that's kind of what I would say about the offense. And Sam, yes, he's got to make tough decisions. He's got to work quickly. But I think in the concept, especially if you understand it, it's it's a little bit easier on a down-to-down basis. Now, you don't get the same reward as you do in the Air Coriel offense with these big explosive plays, but the down-to-down consistency is much better. And then lastly for me on this, so the we, we talked about it from the perspe- perspective of the quarterback, but you got to have the receivers that are adept in running these routes. Some guys are just yeah. better running straight down the field. Sure. I imagine with the way Terry and Jahan run routes, that's a pretty good uh, mesh for them. But how about everybody kind of, you know, broadly out there. Yeah. So I think the guy who's been probably most impressive in this category is Jahan, you know, he, cause he is a very skilled route runner. And then I think it's been nice to see Terry kind of exploring some different route stuff, you know, like using different tools, like, cause he is such a horsepower guy. And what I mean by that, he uses his speed, his strength to win a ton on routes. And so that's not been quite as, you know, it's, it's still a part of his game, obviously, but it's not quite the focal point like it used to be. So, and I think Curtis has done a really nice job. Like Curtis had a really nice catch on a on a 10-yard out um, versus Baltimore, you know, which is a timing throw. So for him to be in timing and rhythm with the quarterback is great. I think you've seen Cole's understanding of kind of how to, how to find zones, getting 10 catches in the preseason. Like that's been great, you know. So I do think that the I, – I just think the offense, this offense, speaks to skill position players a little bit better than the Air Coriel does. Um, and, and again, that's not an indictment of the Air Coriel because there's a lot of concepts that are Air Coriel that they run in Kansas City that they'll probably run here. But I just look at it and I say, man, like they just they give the guys a little bit more flexibility and they give the guys more opportunities to get to more stuff. And so why that's so important, it's like if I'm always running vertical, like as a defender, you know, like where my break points are. Like if if, I, if everything I do is past 10 yards, like I know you're going to run a dig, I know you're going to run a comeback, I know you're going to run a vertical. Now you've got slants, you've got hitches, you've got, you know, little smoke routes, you've got five, five yard ends, you've got 10 yard ends, you've got a, a much different array of, of things you can do and you can set stuff up. So maybe I want to run a go now, but I, my, my stem or the beginning part of my route looks like I'm running a dig. And so you match the dig and then I take it to a go. So it just gives you more things to kind of say, Hey, look over here at this shiny thing and I can kind of stack routes in a much easier way. So I definitely think. I've seen a more productive, and again, a lot of it 
it's not just the West Coast offense or horizontal stretching, sort of horizontally stretching the defense. It's also, I think, EB understanding how to speak to different skill sets. You know, I think that's a huge part of what we're talking about here also. But I, I've just seen a much more productive, much more efficient offense in training camp against a defense that's pretty good, you know. So I think that that's kind of why I'd say this idea of this West Coast terminology with this horizontal stretch is so, so critical for um, for this group. So Awesome. All right. We got number one. As I'm sitting here thinking, I called it Logan's lessons. Would you prefer Paulson's playbook? <laughs> I like either one of those is pretty good. The alliteration is always fun. You know, uh, I'm not. Alliterate. I'm not one to uh, to name something. I'm just like, let's go do the thing, and then we'll figure out what we're going to do later. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll leave that creative element up to you. What do you think? Well, it's kind of like you know, whenever you see like uh, a new neighborhood is built. And then the street, somebody has to come up with the street names. I, yes. I don't care about the neighborhood. I want to name the streets. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure, like, uh, I remember we used to go and make all these crazy soccer trips when I was younger because I played travel soccer. And we go to this town called, um, I think it was Lancaster. Uh, I forget what it was. It wasn't Lancaster. But you get in the town and the streets going uh, north-south were numbers. So 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And the other way were letters. And I was like, Dad, why is it? That seems kind of boring. And he goes, well, this is a military base, Logan. So, like, they, they don't have time for creative names. They're just going to be as as rigid as possible with the street names and stuff. So, <laughs> I, I hear you. All right. Let's go uh, to number two on your list. Yeah. So, um, everyone everyone throws this, this around now in the analytics community. And I do think it's important to understand. But, um, like, passing versus run efficiency for the defense. And so what I mean by that is like there is this um, there's this notion that running the football kills you defensively. And I think Jack Del Rio, at least when you look at the structures that he's playing, understands the direction the NFL is going. Like people are passing it more than ever. Right. You're in zebra or, you know, 11 personnel, you know, over 60 percent of the time. So what I would say with regards to this is I think a lot of fans, especially like I get comments about how like, oh, the defense can't stop the run. I don't really think the defense cares. I mean, they do care about stopping the run, but it's not a priority the same way that it used to be. And so so what I mean by that is like when you're looking at the box structures for the commanders, right? Like so box structure, meaning like um, you got your 4D linemen, you got your two linebackers and you got Cam Curl in the box or you got your Cinco personnel and Cam Curl and a linebacker in the box, they are oftentimes playing down in those situations. And what I mean by that, so like if I have a, the simplest example I can give you, if I have a six-man blocking surface, usually I want six defenders in the box plus one for the running back, right? Because I want the unblocked player to be able to tackle the running back without having to fend off a blocker. Now there's an element of that, but usually what they'll do is they'll have that box player coming from outside of the box. So it's really six v six to start, and then you'll add late. And so I think like they Jack understands that where Jack and, and most defensive coordinators in the NFL now understand where where you're going to get hurt the most. And so if you if the if the if the team you're playing is running for four yards a carry, basically the, the kind of the the modern thought now is that you can't do that the whole length of the field. You're going to screw it up at some point. You right. want the running back to have the football. And so I think fans like they got fr- they get frustrated. Oh, like look at they're running the football. But what I always kind of look at is like they run the football until all of a sudden it's second and eight. They try to pass the ball is deflected. It's incomplete. Whatever it is, it's third and eight. And then all of a sudden you get your you get your blitz package out there and 
you know, it's fourth down before you know it. So I, I think that would be something I would, I would just kind of call attention to is much like you've got this horizontal displacement of the defense. I think it's important to understand like how the priorities and objective of defenses change now in the NFL. And you see that with our defense or the commander's defense is stopping the run becomes a little bit less, um, less of a priority the same way it used to be. Obviously there's certain teams you're going to play the Tennessees of the world, the, um, you know, the Atlanta Falcons, for example, where you want to allocate more resources to stopping the run because that's how they kind of make a living. But I think on the whole, you're going to see more coverage structures that are, are sound and less run structures that are sound because of this, this run pass ratio and run pass efficiency that is becoming kind of the staple of the NFL in 2023. Right. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, right? If, if, you know, it's, it's cool when you see a team has a 15 play drive, but a three right. play drive would be a lot better. Not because obviously it's quicker, but because you have less chance of screwing up. Yes. Right. That, that's exactly right. Like there, I forget there's, I just saw, I just read some, some, something analytic related that was basically saying like the likelihood of you going on a 15 play drive is basically, it's like 5%. You know, like if you can add in one explosive, it becomes 55%, you know? So it's like you, you want as a defensive coordinator, you want to promote this methodical five play, five yards here, six yards here, three yards here, because now like, think about this, like this is something, uh, this had just started to switch as I was leaving the league when I was in Houston. And one of the things the, the run game coordinator said to me, was like, think about the penalty for a hold. Think about how bad that hurts you. It's a 10-yard penalty. And so now you're in first and 20. And I don't care how good you are as a play caller. You never want to be in that situation. And I totally concur with that. So I just think fans get so caught up in this, oh, like they're running the ball, it's four yards a carry. And obviously explosive runs are bad, right? No one wants explosive runs because if you look at, like I think the Cleveland game is a great example. Like Nick Chubb rips off, like I think it was like a 35-yard run, like the fifth play of the game. That falls in that explosive category, which is a negative thing because explosive plays increase the likelihood you're going to score. No one wants that. But if you can kind of keep them in that three, four yards of carry range, it, that is, that is good defense in the NFL. And then you want to kind of set that moment up where it's third and 10 and, or second and nine or third and eight and our pass rushers or the team's pass rushers can go to work. So, and, um, you know, this is why when you look at like building a defense, this is why teams typically spend more on edge rushers than they do on interior tackles to sort of to your point. If the run game is being de-emphasized a little bit from the defensive perspective, <laughs> then clogging up the middle important, but you want to get the, I mean, the edge rushers are just more valuable. That said, they obviously have two ex- really good and two really expensive tackles here is the difference that these two guys can get after the pass rusher. And right. if you didn't, if they were just purely, run stoppers and that would be a big overpay. Yeah. I mean, I think because they are, they are such dynamic pass rushers or that they're dynamic in all aspects of the game, I think is what I, how I'd characterize it. I, I, I think it, it fits this philosophy because you get guys that can win one-on-ones and be disruptive. And again, like that, the more times that I'm running the football at sweat, Allen, Payne, chase, the more times there is an opportunity for one of them to have a TFL and put me in second and 13. And then I'm behind the sticks in terms of how I want to be calling my game. So there is a, an element of risk because of how explosive those guys are along the defensive line that kind of, um, that, that, that would kind of 
again, upend any kind of well thought out run philosophy. So I, I, that, I think the defensive tackles in terms of how they rush the passer are great. The defensive ends are, are actually very good run players as well. So they've got dynamic athletes that can stop the run, but I also think like they're explosive enough to make you pay for it. If you're on kind of a six play drive or whatever it is, like look for one of those guys to make a play. And, um, and I, it's so funny. I, I think back to watching the team last year and it'd be like, Oh my gosh, they're, they're running the football down their throats. And you get in those situations where it's like, actually, no, that's a five play drive. That's a six play drive. And you can win football games with those types of drives. Um, all right. Yeah. Great. All right. Look, we're, we're, we're on a roll here with, uh, we'll go Pulse's <laughs> playbook for this one. Um, good stuff there. All right. Number three, what you got? So number three, I guess we're going to go back to the offense. And I would say um, this is a little bit like we'll have to kind of get to the more specific terms, but high level, much like we were with the Air Coriel horizontal spacing one, is is it's it's going to start off with situational football and it's going to get a little bit detailed. And so what I mean by that is in situational football, so you know, third down, red zone, strike zone, wherever you want to be, defensive coordinators change who they are, change kind of the cadence of their defensive philosophy. And so what when you watch Kansas City film, there was this crazy high understanding of what teams want to do in certain situations. So, for example, like Kansas City in the low red zone was damn near unstoppable. And I don't think they were doing anything magical. There's not like a magic concept. Oh, we got this magic run or this magic concept that's going to get us there. It's just about knowing when that concept that I've called is applicable, right? So, for example, like if you watch the their Arizona game from last year, Arizona played a ton of man coverage in the low red, and you better believe that Kansas City ran every single man beater they possibly could and just absolutely diced that defense, you know? And then you go and say, oh, well, what about, I don't know, um, the L.A. Chargers? They like to run a lot of cover three in third medium situations, right? Or, yeah, third medium, so third and five. And so here is every single cover three beater that we've got. Let's get Travis Kelsey reading and finding space and just give him like 10 targets. So that is what I'd say is is situational football, but also understanding what the defensive coordinator or the defense is trying to do to you in those situations. And then where, where on my play sheet are those plays and how do I have them highlighted and how do I have them indicated? So that to me is something that really, really sticks out in terms of, um, in terms of something that Kansas city did really well. And that I'm hoping EB brings here. And I think like, for example, like the um, in the Cincinnati game, for example, that Bryson Tremaine touchdown where he motions across the formation, like that's just a taste of kind of some of that more complicated, nuanced red zone stuff that you can get to. And I know we're not talking about this right now, but the, the fact that your third string offense can run a play like that in the preseason and have nobody screw it up. I think is a testament to how they've been coaching and how the, the volume of plays they've been able to get into practice and why all three levels of that team, including the depth, look so sharp. So, um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great, um, a great point. You know, in, in terms of the, to broaden it out with B enemy, yeah. you know, everybody wants to say, is he going to work? Is he going to stink? You know, all that. Yeah. And, and for me, like it, it sort of comes down to, I mean, one, I have no idea anybody who says they have a real opinion. I mean, I don't know. We have to see in part for me because, you know, what you're describing, situational play calling, essentially, mm. how does he do that? Like, it's one thing to script the first 15 plays and this is what we're going to do. But then you get to, you know, 
third and four, uh, you know, at their 40 or, or your 30 or what have you, or you get in the red zone on the fly where you know where to go to. Well, what's the, what are you going to call? As you're saying, you have certain plays that you think are going to work. Do you, you know, you get to the right ones. I, I just think like that, you know, the in the moment stuff until you do it, how do you know? And, and, yeah. that's, and you may have a better feel based on what you've seen, but I'm saying for me, that's been like the biggest question is how does it work in real time? Yeah. So I think the thing that's, that's a little bit, a little bit of a misconception. I, I, you know, I, I coach high school football and like, so I'm the OC and I have to call plays. And what I've found, and, and I've got, I've, as a result of this high school football thing, I've done like a couple of coaching clinics just to kind of get a feel for like how offensive coordinators call, call games, you know? And one of the things that's really jumped out to me in the, in those clinics is everybody to a man says, I don't, I'm not really calling the play. I, I'm, I'm, I'm physically calling the play you know, when it's third and 10, you know, but the thing that, excuse me, has made me better or has improved my play calling is in the week, my preparation, understanding what I'm going to see on the third and 10 or understanding what I'm going to see in the low red. And it takes my playbook from 50 plays to five plays or three plays. And I just got to pick one of them. And I think that is something that gives me a lot of confidence in EB because when you look at like his role in Kansas City, one of the things he did is he was really heavily involved in what, in what my opinion is, is much, much more challenging, which is the day to day game plan stuff. That, that's really, really hard kind of identifying what teams are doing, how to beat that. And then I think the other thing that I, I wanted to kind of allude to is, you know, players or coaches coach and players play. And I know that that sounds like probably insanely obvious, but players and the details that the players run the plays with make the plays come to life. So, for example, I can call the best quarters beater of all time. But if the guy doesn't run it correctly or run it with the right stem or run it with the right detail, then it's not going to work. And so I look at EB, and again, I go back to that attention to detail. And he's going to get those guys understanding what they're going to see on game day and how best to beat it. So his preparation in the week, his coaching in practice, his attention detail in training camp are, I think, I think two factors that, you know, he might not be Kyle Shanahan when it comes to calling plays, but his preparation and how he details the athletes, I think, is something that's going to lend itself to a much, much more productive offense that is going to be elevated. So like, even if he's not in the perfect call, he's going to have answers. Because, like, that's the thing about coverages and defense now. And we were going to, I was going to talk about this with the defense in a second, but, you know, like they, they're not playing like these traditional, like, oh, we're in cover four and there's, oh, I can see the four guys back there or cover three. There's the three dudes. It's like kind of this amorphous man match zone match concept makes it much more hard, much more challenging to identify. And as a result, the players are the ones that really, really make this stuff come to life, um, make the play calls come to life. And so detailing in the week, giving answers to the players to these specific looks is the thing that really changes. So that's one of the reasons why, I've become a little bit less concerned about the play caller specifically and more about the prep in the week, which he's shown through training camp that he's got a pretty good feel for. So I don't know. I don't know if you were there that day when we were on the sideline and, you know, when you, when you got to kill three weeks and you, you, you come up with random topics. And one topic we came up with was what is more important um, play calling versus game planning. And I'm going to spring this on you. I have this new game on here where okay. I, I I don't know how 
you are with point spreads. But rather than just I've been saying, listening to the show, Ben. Uh, You've do, been doing a good job. I don't understand point spreads, but the game's been fun to listen to, I will say. <laughs> well, so, okay. So basically, you know, rather than just saying, uh, you know, you just said uh, game planning may be more important than the play calling, or you're, sure. you're less concerned with it. So to that end, from a point spread perspective, right, how, how would you favor if you think that is, like, is it is it one point? more important like is it a minus one a minus two or is it like a minus 10 like what's the what's more important is that what you're saying yeah (laughs) as a point spread so yeah so like the prep in the week i think is is more important and so as a result i would say the actual play call the actual play call is obviously important but i'm assuming that his preparation in the week will lead to a good play call so i'd say like i'd say minus Two and a half is that is that sure. fair? Does that work? Yeah. So sure. I'd say I'd say it, it is it is significant, but I think the the like so like if he for example was not prepping in the week and prepping the guys in the week, I'd say this would be like a minus seven, seven or eight. You know, like that is a way more significant thing to me. Obviously, the actual play call is important, but I do think the prep lends itself to a to a better a better play call or it'd be plus in that situation, right? It'd be plus ten because I'd be really worried about it, right? Is that how that works with the spreads? Or am I backwards? No, no, no. If you're, if you're saying, no, minus two and a half would be like saying, you know, you think that this is more important. The, you know, it's a favorite. Um, you could phrase it however you want. If you said minus 10, <laughs> you could be like, well, it's because I'm really concerned about, the, you know. Yes, right. But right. other, or this other thing is more important. Yeah. Um, I need to figure that out because we do a lot of like gambling stuff on the pregame show. So I got to get that, like, get that uh, dialed yeah. in a little bit. You got it. Um, I'm, I, I, I'm the guy on the sidelines when Logan's around who is, uh, too, I don't know, stubborn or whatever that I will just like actually argue with the former football player than everybody else. Is I love it. Dude. There I love it. I, lo- I love when you argue. Like it's so fun. Cause like it's like you've everyone, I, like I come from, uh, my wife's family is a bit like big arguers, big debaters, you know? And so I love that because it forces you to like, Think about your perspective. Like, why is that? Because, like, you're you know you're so indoctrinated in like this football, you know, ecosystem, and this is how we do it. Da da da. But it's like it's always great when someone's like, "Why do we do it like that?" And sometimes you ask why, and I think it's silly. But other times I'm like, "That's a really good question." Like, I don't have a good reason. Like, just the fact that we've done it this way for the last thirty years, and that's not a good reason to do anything. So, right. I think always think in general with any with anything. If you debate one, it solidifies your view more. But oh. two, you, you, you gotta, if, if you don't know what the other side is saying and understanding their rationale, then what, then you're just arguing against the wind. Like, well, I mean, yeah. you can't just say, well, this is what I think. Well, what about the other side? Then say, sure. okay, I see what they think. Now I really think this. Um, all right. Number four. So number four, we kind of already touched on it a little bit. And I think everyone throws this term around like at nauseum. It's this zone match or man match. I don't know how you want to characterize it. They're really, it's, this is something that I'm actually spending a lot of time on trying to learn like just general rules for it. And so what it is, is like, so the the, the best thing I come up with is it's not man, but it's not zone. And it looks way more like man than anything else. And that is a big feature of this coverage structure. And so what it is, it's like, so for example, let's say I'm in, cover six right but they get a three by one right so there's one receiver to the left and there's three receivers to the offensive right let's just say for anybody cover six means what oh cover six so yeah that would be like uh it depends on on who you're talking to but for me when i say it it's quarters usually to the boundary 
and then um, cover two to the field. So like you're going to get that kind of overhang safety. And so that's what it means for me. Some people call it different stuff, but that's what I'm, when I, when I say six, that's what I mean. Okay. And so usually, uh, you know, if you're drawn it up on man, you'd say, Oh, like here are the two quarters guys and here's the cover six guy, but in a three by one, for example. So when there's one receiver to the left and three receivers to the right, they're going to just play man on the backside. They're going to take that outside overhang backer. He's going to match the back. And then the, the corner is going to match the receiver and that's going to play just like man. So that is not a, that's not a match coverage. That is a check versus a formation. So that's where people get confused. It's like, Oh, they look, they're playing man here, but they're playing zone here. That's a man match, right? That's not what that is. That's a check versus a specific coverage. And then that quarter safety, I'm going to match the three by one side. That's usually how they do it. A man match is when. It, it's going to play, it's going to play just like man. And it's all starts off at a two by two. So basically like think about this in two by two, like if we were running cover three, so three across the back, one, two, three, and number two runs vertical. Both number twos run vertical on either side of the formation. We have put the post safety in a bind right now, and he's got to pick one on who he's going to cover. So what teams started doing is they said, Oh, well, we're just going to take our hook player and have him carry this vertical. The problem becomes if I carry that vertical and I run an under by number one or an in cut by number one, the cover three safety is dropping off and there's this huge void there. So then they said, well, if number one goes, if number two goes vertical, now you have to match that coverage. So it becomes this really intricate ballet of saying, I can't just look at what my, my, my guy is doing that I'm playing in man coverage. I have to feel the whole concept because if number one, number two comes out right now, the corner is going to take him and the hook player is going to take his guy. So there's like this, this pre-snap read of what the offense can do. And then based off the stems, it kind of leads me into this man coverage. And so to me, that is, that's the difference. And that is where defenses are going. And it is so hard to tell what is going on nine, nine, nine times out of 10. Cause you're like, is this man, is this zone? And the answer is it's probably a little bit of both. And it's matching what the offense is presenting or reacting to what the offense is presenting. And our defense runs it semi-regularly. And I can't tell you how often they run it because they run a man semi-frequently. They run the zone match semi-frequently. So those almost look identical to me. The only time I'm able to tell is in very specific coverage structures when it when it is truly zone man or zone match, excuse me. So that is something that is incredibly football nerdy at the moment, but that is something that is sweeping the NFL and it's, I think it's one of the reasons why defenses have gotten a lot more productive. You know, everyone throws around that Vic Fangio tree. Like that is a feature of Vic Fangio in addition to playing lighter boxes, but that has become like modern NFL defense also is lighter boxes, more aggressive coverage structures, right? Hoping that the quarterback has to hold the ball a little bit longer because A, I don't know what's going on and B, the throwing windows are tighter, right? So that that is to me a huge going to be a huge factor this this season for the defense is how well they can do that and they've got guys Forbes played a version of that in college obviously Fuller's been doing this for a long time St. Juice has been in the defense for three years Cam is excellent at it in terms of identifying and targeting different adjustments so um, it, it is challenging but I think it does like you can hear me in my voice I have a lot of consternation about it as an offensive player or former offensive player because I don't understand always what they're doing and that that makes it very very challenging i remember when you weren't here a previous time we found a, a mutual disdain for the constant talk of kind of position flex 
Yeah. <laughs> but I think that was mainly on the offensive line, at least yes. I think the worst. Yeah. This also applies to the secondary, but based sure. on what you're saying, it feels like this is actually a much more important deal to be able to play these different things. And they have a lot of guys, Cam Curl, they drafted Quan Martin kind of yeah. for these reasons. Um, you know, is that is that maybe more applicable than to 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 what the defense is doing because you're not always sure what you're going to be facing? Yeah, and I think in those more aggressive coverage structures, because you know man match is a more aggressive coverage structure, like than than regular like zone coverage, and you need guys who can run and and play man. And Cam has shown that he can match up with tight end and sometimes big slot receivers, and I think that is why you bring in a guy like Quan because he. In this defense, the thing that I think the more you watch them, the more you realize like how important those coverage players are. Like they've got to do a lot of stuff that's very, very challenging. And that's one of the reasons why Cam Curl is so valuable is because he can do both. He can fit a run. He can cover a slot. He can do some things like that. So I think you're hoping Quan eventually gets to a point where he's doing that all the time for you, you know? So, um, yes, I do think it's, it's extremely important. And, and when you talk to people in the building, one of the things they constantly say is, when when evaluating DBs is that that balance has to be there in terms of being able to play, you know, for safeties, being able to play the post, being able to play in the box, because the defense shifts and moves and evolves to what the offense is presenting, even in the pre-snap stuff. So I don't want to have my Cam Chancellor who's in the box because of a motion now have to go play post. I need guys who kind of have both skill sets. Um, and I think that that's that to your point, especially at the safety position. That's why that's so, so important for sure. Um, you mentioned St. Juice. I, I think he's such a fascinating player this year. I, um, something, a story I had up today or Monday, um, I, I talked about breakout players and breakouts relative to how you're looking at the guy for defense. I said St. Juice and I went so far as to say, I think he may be their best defensive back period right now even though i think he's probably better outside than inside but i'm just curious like i uh, you can react to that as i see you noodling that in your head but just also like how does he to what you're describing here how does he factor in knowing he's really tall he's he's got good coverage skills maybe better outside inside but how does he fit in to what you're describing yeah so i you know i actually now that you mentioned it, i don't know if i I was getting ready to disagree with you, but I don't know if I really disagree. You know, I, th- I think he's had a really good training camp. I think he's looked excellent. And I, and I think he might be the most consistent player. I mean, for, uh, Fuller's the most consistent, I think, on a down-to-down. But in terms of athletic upside and the ability to kind of do more challenging stuff, I think St. Juice kind of falls into that category. And so what I'll say about him is when you're when you're playing these aggressive coverage structures, right, you're you're getting you need a good slot corner because everyone like we just talked about everyone is an 11 personnel everyone's in zebra everyone's doing all this stuff and having a guy that can match up with that player in the slot is so impactful right is so so important because like one of the things teams do now is they say oh well you're going to leave a nickel on your slot guy let's put our number one receiver in the slot and to have a guy who's in the slot who can who can win that matchup who's guarded justin jefferson who who can take advantage of that, I think is so important. So I think having three, you can never have enough coverage guys. Like the way the NFL is going now, you can't have enough offensive or defensive linemen. 
that are good and you can't have enough coverage guys like receivers are a dime a dozen now running backs are a dime a dozen um but you need guys that can cover you need guys that can rush the passer and you need guys that can protect the passer and when you look at teams like philadelphia for example they abide by that 1000 percent. so i think that if i you know like having a guy as your three who might be your best coverage player is is so important because there's no there's nobody to pick on anymore, right? And so hopefully he can stay healthy, but I do think he's poised for a big year. I think he's going to have a huge impact on this defense. All right. Uh, do you have a fifth one? Do I have a fifth one? Um, yes. So let's let's give special teams some love because I think that, um, you know, like we don't talk about them enough, Ben. We always talk about the offense and defense. It's very true. And so what I'm going to say is allocation of special teams resources in terms of constructing an effective special teams unit. And so I think a lot of fans look at this and they say, oh, well, like, you know, teams is so important, blah, 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 blah. And teams are important. But what I will say about special teams is that when you have guys like Percy Butler, like Jeremy Reeves, like Christian Holmes, who are your gunners and your PP on punt and can cover kicks at a really high level and they're fast and they're physical, the other spots become a little bit less important. I've said this on my show, but I I believe it. So I'm going to say it here, too is that that having those guys plus Mayo plus Kalee Hudson allows you to say we can keep 11 defensive linemen because we've got those five guys who are excellent at covering kicks and excellent at playing teams. So that way we can put out a Casey Tuhill, We can put out a James Smith-Williams and not worry about them having to make the tackle because those guys will make the tackle. So I think I look at that and I say to myself, like um, that is something that I think is – was really smart by Katzer. I also think talking about keeping Joey Sly, one of the things Joey Sly does a great job of, he kicks the ball out of the end zone all the time. So you've mitigated the risk uh, on your punt team and your kick coverage team because of how you've, the, the pieces you have chosen to keep at certain spots. And I think that that allows for more roster flexibility, specifically in this case on the defensive side of the football. Um, You're right. We don't talk enough about that. Those, uh, special teams like if i said who's the one guy on offense they can't afford to lose we can easily come up with yeah a couple of names on special teams who's the guy like i mean beyond well you pick anybody you want who's the guy like oh no if this player gets hurt it's not a matter of them being the, the sixth defensive back it's like oh no they just lost their best you know yeah. whatever I mean, obviously, who, who's that guy obviously omitting tressway here because tressway is maybe the best punter in football right um i would say for me it's one of the two gunners. So everyone knows Jeremy, how impactful he is, but I think the guys that really make your punt team go and really make your kick coverage go in general are Percy Butler and Christian Holmes, especially near the second half of last year. So if something were to happen to one of those guys, obviously you'd have to look and kind of say who can step in and fill that role. But those dudes are like, it's so hard to find guys who are physical enough to do it and fast enough to do it. And then not afraid to tackle when they get down there. And both those guys are that way. And I have never, I don't think I've been a part of a team where you've had two, like I've been a part of a team where there's been two pretty good guys, but to have two guys who are, are very good and very willing and very physical is very, is extremely rare. So I think if either one of those guys go down, that's going to really affect like kind of some decision making processes in terms of who, who's out there. Like, what are we doing exactly? Cause, um, you know, last year, like Christian Holmes and, and Percy were excellent. Like you watch the Houston game and like they were excellent covering kicks. And if you lose one of those guys, basically like it becomes a, a two on one at the catch point 
And then all of a sudden, guys, you don't want making tackles now have to make tackles. Instead of being a three-on-one with Percy, Jeremy, and Christian, like now the dynamic changes. And then obviously we know how important field position is to this team. So that's something that I think like, I don't want to say those guys are invaluable, but they're darn close, you know, because of how effective they are in those roles. All right. Well, I'm going to say Logan's uh, insight is invaluable. Uh, Whether we're going to call this Paulson's playbook or Logan's lessons, (laughs) we're going to have to do this again next time it comes up. And the good thing is next time we'll be, we'll have actual. That'd be awesome. Yeah. That's going to be great. Right. Games will have happened. Um, All right. Go check out all Logan's work. He's on, of course, Instagram. Uh, crap. Logan underscore Paulson. Yeah, Logan underscore Paulson eighty two. Oh, eighty two. That's what I was forgetting. Eighty two. Uh, Take Command podcast with Craig Hoffman, and he does a ton of great work. I love watching his film breakdowns on the Commanders website. Anything else we need to promote? Uh, I'm going to be doing. Yeah, I'm going to be doing the post game show with the team. We got a pre game show with the radio station. If it's the Take Command pre game show, that's going to be a lot of fun to do. So. Yeah, on game day, make sure you tune in to both of those. Uh, both of those. And do we need to come out to your high school games and and check out your uh, coordinating? <laughs> right now, we're in a little bit of a skid, coach. We gotta we gotta get some things cleared up, and so hopefully, uh, get get back to the drawing board this week. But when it starts going better, you know, I'd say yeah, for sure, come out. Support All right, the, support we'll, the boys. We'll, well, let us know when that happens, Logan. Man, I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk soon. All right, thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. All right, big thanks to Logan Paulson for his time. Thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast, checking out The Athletic. Uh, week one, we're here. Uh, it's going to be a fun ride. I appreciate you guys being a part of it with me here on the podcast. That is it, though, for now. Until next time. <laughs>